Welcome back to Love Letters and Mixtapes. I'm so glad you're here. This is a weekly podcast with new episodes available every Sunday and Monday morning. The inspiration for this podcast was a desire to talk about things that our younger selves needed to hear, whether that was 30 years ago, 3 years ago, or yesterday. After you listen to this episode, please make sure to subscribe on your favorite listening platform. Rate it and review it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Audible. And if you enjoy this episode, please consider sponsoring this podcast with a monthly donation by clicking the link in my Instagram bio at Love Letters and Mixtapes. I want to thank the sponsor of this podcast, Snake River Roasting Company is an organic coffee roaster located in the beautiful mountains of Jackson Hole, Wyoming. They roast award-winning coffees, and their mission and commitment to supporting the rights of women farmers around the world are just incredible. I started my morning with a cup of their Rome, Wyoming organic coffee blend. And if you are ready to fall in love with your coffee, Snake River Roasting Company has a free shipping code for you to give their delicious coffee a taste. Head to their website, snakeriverroastingco.com, and use the code COFFEELOVE at checkout for free shipping on all domestic coffee orders. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This week, I wanted to share about four practices that have helped me to process and heal some of the things in my life that I thought could never be healed. And as always, I think it's important to remind everyone listening that humans are not a one-size-fits-all bunch. So what I'm describing here that works for me may not work for you, but In sharing about my own practices here, even if they don't resonate perfectly for you, I really hope to inspire you to continue to search for what feels honest and authentic in your own healing journey. There's a saying that everything is grist for the mill. So even if this doesn't apply to you, hopefully you can see how it can reveal something in your own life. Before I begin exploring the practices that I chose for today, let's take a quick look at what would bring us to a place of wanting clarity, healing, understanding, or closure. And I want to first say that our desire for these things in relationships makes sense. And I know that when we find ourselves wanting someone or wanting something, that feels unavailable to us, it can make us feel insecure or as if there's something wrong with us. And I look at it a little differently. 
When these feelings come up, I experience them as an invitation to explore what is underneath them, what is driving them, how are they being translated in our lives, and most of all, to receive the information that these feelings carry within them. We can all very easily weaponize our feelings and use them to bully ourselves or to put ourselves down. I'm sure that a lot of people listening to this have done that. I know I've done it before. But when we bring awareness to them and allow for different dimensions of each feeling to reveal something, we begin to find the jewel in the wound. A relatable and pretty helpful example of this is when we take a look at the endings of romantic relationships, because we can sometimes feel anxiety or longing, especially if we are the person that wanted to remain in the relationship and the other person decided that they wanted to end the relationship. And everyone reacts very differently to these feelings when they come up. Some people immediately want to run away from these feelings. Maybe they seek out ways to numb them through relationships or substances or work or socializing. Other people become very reactive and immediately want to replace the person who is gone with another partner almost immediately so as not to feel abandoned or not chosen. Other people may take their depth of emotion as a sign that something was meant to be, that the relationship should continue, or that this ending is wrong specifically because it feels so bad. And all of those feelings and perspectives are valid. It's really not up to anyone else to police your thoughts and feelings. But my point in bringing this up is not to say that any of those reactions are wrong, It's simply to remind us that maybe we are taking our feelings and reactions at face value. And in doing that, we're not giving them enough credit for the depth, layers, and information that they can offer us if we were willing to see what was underneath some of the big feelings of loss, wanting, or grasping. The first practice that has helped me to heal what I thought couldn't be healed is one that I learned from Tara Brock, and she's a teacher that has always resonated with me. I talk about her a lot on this podcast. I listen to her in the morning as I'm getting ready for my day, and I've actually done that for almost 10 years now. She has a beautiful podcast, and I highly recommend listening to her. She often speaks about the practice of tracing back desire, and that is the practice I wanted to talk about today. So this practice begins with recognizing and allowing whatever we're seeking to be there without judgment, which is so much easier said than done when you take a moment to look at how the whole world perceives desire. And it doesn't even matter what we find ourselves wanting. It could be a promotion. It could be a new car, a different relationship. Maybe we want to look different or feel different. The goal of tracing back desire is not to pass judgment on what we desire. The goal is to allow ourselves to investigate 
how that desire emerges in our bodies and how it might reflect a deeper longing within us. And when these feelings come up, instead of becoming overwhelmed by them or rejecting them, we continue to ask ourselves, what would that mean to me? What would that feel like? What would that reveal in my life? And a great example being what I spoke about earlier, the relationship we want to keep that we feel might satisfy our fears of abandonment or our self-consciousness about being unlovable. In that situation, if we were to apply tracing back desire, instead of becoming overwhelmed by whatever this deeper want is, this thing that we feel exists outside of us that's out of reach, or this thing that we feel is like pushing or chasing us, we're invited to pause and to just give it to ourselves. And we do this by meditating on what would it actually feel like if I got the love, support, understanding, connection, and belonging that I long for, that I'm looking for in someone else? What need would that fill within me? What would that look like in my life? What would that feel like? And the invitation here is to actually allow ourselves to drop into this instead of instantly talking ourselves out of it. And by doing this, we move past the anxiety and the fear and we step into the feeling of getting what it actually is that we really desire. Because it might turn out that what we want is not this other person. We want a feeling of deep alignment or belonging or connection. And we see this thing outside of us as the only way that we can get it. So this practice invites us to take a different look at that. We become less fixated on the person, place, or thing, and instead bring ourselves into relationship with the feelings that these things offer us. And this allows us to see where these sources exist in our lives today. What resources do we have in our lives that we've been overlooking? Or we'll see where there's room for it today in our lives that maybe we've overlooked in the past. Because there's so much information there within us that we haven't been tapping into. And it's pretty humbling because it turns out there's so much of what we feel outside of ourselves, really inside of us, within us, and ready to be cultivated in our lives. And the sooner we trace back desire and tap into those feelings and recognize them within ourselves, the less we find ourselves grasping at them outside of ourselves. And there's no spiritual bypassing here because we can still obviously want the love and companionship that comes to us in relationships. This practice is not about denying that. I'm not denying that those things are wonderful because they absolutely are. And our relationships transform us. But it's about walking towards that and understanding it in a way that we never have before. Tracing back desire invites us to take back our power. And we transform our anxiety 
and bring ourselves into alignment with our emotions and actions. While I was researching this episode, I realized that in Latin, the word desire means away from your star. It's the longing that comes up when we sense in some way that we are separate from what we love. We're separate from that energy and awareness and love that is really our source. So desire just brings us back into alignment with the esteem, the desire to bond, to be nourished and connected with other people. And those are all beautiful things. In this practice, the challenge is not our desire. The challenge is when our basic needs are not met. Our basic needs for safety or healthy bonding or a sense of our value. When these are not met, Desire contracts and gets very fixated on substitutes, whatever those substitutes are. And those things exist outside of us. And we believe that we have to do something to earn them, something to get it. And this can activate our fears of deprivation. As an example, we might desperately want love and connection, like true bonding. But We'll go for soothing ourselves with something else instead because we are trying to get a reward or just some relief from that contracted feeling. So that practice, tracing back desire, is a good practice to begin this week. The second practice that has helped me to heal what I thought couldn't be healed is something that I learned in a 12-step program. A few of us were discussing the experience of taking a personal inventory and making our amends to people, which can be incredibly liberating, yet challenging, (laughs) especially in a program that encourages us to make amends for things that we have said or done, even when we tell ourselves that the other person deserved it or that they have done things just as bad or worse to us or that we really had no option at the time. We had to do this thing. This practice of making amends doesn't allow us to let ourselves off the hook by taking someone else's inventory or directing them how to clean up their side of the street. We simply focus on ourselves, and it is not easy. The world is simply not set up for that level of accountability and vulnerability. So even while we have education and awareness around how this action can free us from the wreckage of our past, it can be really difficult to get past that big hurdle of, but they did this to me. Why should I apologize to them? In this situation, we are hyper fixated on what someone else has done to us. And we find ourselves pointing a finger at someone else and focusing on how they have wronged us or they rejected us or they embarrassed us or wreaked havoc in our lives. And in this practice, we take all that energy that is being directed outward and instead we sit down, put pen to paper, and write a letter. And this letter is unique in that we write a letter from the other person's perspective. And we imagine that we are this person who harmed us, and they are writing a letter to a trusted friend explaining what they have done to us. They explain their motivation. They explain why they felt that they had to do it. 
and what the consequences were. And this can sound ridiculous. You could be listening to me right now and being like, I don't really see the point in doing that. What writing a letter from the other person's perspective has done for me is that it reveals their rationalizations. And guess what? We all have rationalizations. It reveals the ways that they were attempting to get their needs met. It reveals their character defects, which are really just distorted defense mechanisms and limitations. Writing a letter this way also provides insight into some of our own actions that may have inspired anger, jealousy, or retaliation. I know we like to tell ourselves we didn't do anything wrong, but if we're in a dynamic with someone else, we have to always take a look at ourselves, and this is a great way to do that. This practice may reveal to us some things that we have been unwilling to see or admit about ourselves. And most of all, what this letter does, it decreases our reactive need to make someone else an other. And we do this a lot, just us as people do this a lot. And we especially do this to people that we have harmed or people who have harmed us. And by making them an other or less than, We give ourselves a free pass to act and engage with less character, less patience, less generosity, and less grace. We dehumanize this other person as a way to get our own needs met, to place our needs for safety, fairness, or recognition above their own. So this letter writing practice reconnects us with our humanity. Or that quiet voice in our head that says, I think this person was scared. I get it because we do all sorts of things to feel safe when we are scared. Or I think this person felt unsafe, unseen, or unheard and felt as if they had to take up more space in order to get their needs met. Or maybe we realize moments when we could have paused and turned things around if we had just shown up in the situation with like 5% more compassion. The third practice that has helped me to heal what I thought couldn't be healed is something that Dr. Thema spoke about recently on her homecoming podcast in an episode about healing without an apology. And that episode really hit home for me because no one apologizes to me. (laughs) Just... In my life, it's just not something that often happens. And I've seen how in the past it would have really wounded me or held me back or created resentments and how presently I have a little bit, at least, better ability to understand what would prevent someone from apologizing and how maybe I don't even really need to hear it from them after all. We can find ourselves perseverating on the past, on old wounds and interactions and relationships, and feel really trapped by it. We can allow distorted perceptions of ourselves to prevent us from healing today. And we can give violations or harmful people a lot of meaning and power and allow them to define us while we wait for an apology. You know, waiting on apologies keeps us stuck in 
this strange kind of magical thinking about what our lives could have been like if only other people had treated us better. What it really does is takes us out of the present and it separates us from the resources, like even the emotional resources that we currently have. So in this practice, Dr. Thama invites us to grieve the fantasy of apologies and to give ourselves permission to show up for our present lives. She encourages us to write the apology letter that we wish that we had received that never came. We write down what we were hoping this other person would say. And when we do this, it gives us insight into the places that we are stuck. It reveals our unmet needs. A great example that she gives is, if we are waiting for someone else to say, you didn't deserve the way I treated you, is a part of us wondering if we did deserve it, and are we searching for answers? If we are waiting for someone else to say that they really did care about us, and that we really did mean something to them, have we denied ourselves nurturing or nourishment or the ability to grow and evolve and take up space or just loving and caring for ourselves boldly. Ultimately, this practice is about deciding that instead of waiting for someone to give me something, I'm going to honor my own power and recognize that I can give myself these things all by myself. And the fourth and final practice that has helped me to heal what I thought couldn't be healed is writing a letter to our younger selves that honors our experiences, emotions, coping methods, and survival skills. And this is so timely, not even just because the name of this podcast is Love Letters and Mixtapes, and we are always writing love letters to our younger selves, but because a friend sent me a meme this week where a famous actor was quoted saying that we should never write letters to our younger selves because we should just live life and make unique messes and work our ways out of them. And she asked me what I thought of that, seeing as how that's what my whole podcast is about. And I simply replied, that sounds like a person who didn't grow up with a parent actively trying to kill them. And I don't say that to discredit the actor's perspective. I wasn't being glib. I'm not discrediting my friend for even sharing it with me or asking my perspective. I absolutely love that she shared that with me and asked me about it. I'm sharing it here because, as I said in the beginning of the episode, we are not a one-size-fits-all product. We are humans having a messy human experience. And we all have different stories and experiences. And for so many of us, the practice of writing a love letter to our younger selves is not about sending a message in a bottle through cosmic time and space to quote unquote save our younger selves from learning lessons. Instead, it's about honoring some of the traumatic, hurtful, terrifying or lonely experiences that we had as children and the emotional tools and emotional intelligence that we have currently today 
and reminding ourselves, reminding our wounded inner children that they don't have to be so hypervigilant anymore. We're reminding them, we've got this. We may not have had adults guiding us and protecting us when we were younger, but we have this now. We are the adults now, and we can soothe, nurture, parent, support, and protect ourselves in a way that we couldn't do when we were younger. Now, I also know that some people hate when I even mention inner child work, and I totally get it because it can sound so touchy-feely. But I have to say, it's generally the things that we turn away from that end up being so incredibly informative and transformative for us. I say inner child work, and I imagine some people think that I'm referring to a bunch of adults in business suits throwing a tantrum on the floor in the middle of their office. But when I talk about inner child work, I'm actually talking about the affairs that people have when they are in monogamous committed relationships and they do it to get away from themselves and to feel different. I'm talking about the anger that they display at home in order to feel seen and heard. I'm talking about the enmeshed and codependent relationships that people have because they struggle with feelings of worth or connection. And these things that we do as adults that are co-signed by society that can keep us in arrested development. So in this exercise, we are invited to really tap into the sense of being a child and think about some of the things that we wouldn't dare share with anyone else. Maybe what it felt like to be neglected, to be harmed, to be ignored or used or violated, or the ways that we were forced to be the parent or the golden child, or the distraction, or the emotional caretaker for the adults in our lives. In writing a letter to our younger selves about these things, we can slowly begin to untangle some of our emotional knots. We deserve the love, tenderness, and respect that we continually try to give other people. And if we never receive that as children, What's the harm in communicating that to ourselves now with a letter? I hope that maybe one or even all of these practices resonated with you, or at the very least, maybe spark some creativity within you to pursue your own method of healing work. And I wanted to close this episode with one of my favorite readings from a book called From Survival to Recovery. I shared on this podcast before that I used to keep a copy of this on my desk at work to just look at during the day when I was having a hard time. And I hope that listening to it offers you some of the relief and support that it has offered me. If we willingly surrender ourselves to spiritual discipline, our lives will be transformed. We will become mature, responsible individuals with a great capacity for joy, fulfillment, and wonder. Though we may never be perfect, continued spiritual progress will reveal to us our enormous potential. We will discover that we are worthy of love and loving. We will love others without losing ourselves, 
and will learn to accept love in return. Our sight, once clouded and confused, will clear, and we will be able to perceive reality and recognize truth. Courage and fellowship will replace fear. We will be able to risk failure to develop new, hidden talents. Our lives, no matter how battered and degraded, will yield hope to share with others. We will begin to feel and will come to know the vastness of our emotions, but we will not be slaves to them. Our secrets will no longer bind us in shame. As we gain the ability to forgive ourselves, our families, and the world, our choices will expand. With dignity, we will stand for ourselves, but not against our fellows. Serenity and peace will have meaning for us as we allow our lives and the lives of those we love to flow day by day with a higher power's ease, balance, and grace. No longer terrified, we will discover we are free to delight in life's paradox, mystery, and awe. We will laugh more. Fear will be replaced by faith, and gratitude will come naturally as we realize that our higher power is doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Until next week, make sure to hit the follow button on your favorite podcast listening platform. Check out this week's playlist on my personal Spotify account, and join me on Instagram and TikTok for daily journal prompts at Love Letters and Mixtapes. If you enjoy this episode, consider making a monthly donation to support this podcast by clicking the link in my Instagram bio.